everybody welcome back to the shea station podcast brought to you by john boy media uh talking jake has been ousted from the shea station lineup we don't need him anymore we kicked him to the curb because my good friend jerry blevins is feeling a lot better he's back in the fold jerry how you doing this morning i'm like you said i'm feeling better uh kick that kid back to the bronx where he belongs get out of queens this is a Shea Station podcast. Exactly. You did a good job. I listened in. He did great. It's like he knows a thing or two about this pod game. He might. Right? He very well might. <laughs> no, he did a great job. Uh, I guess he just wanted to talk some action since they don't have anything to talk about. Yeah, man. And and the the Mets definitely stepped up, at least on the, uh, the conversation front. But it's good to be back. I'm feeling much better. Uh, my voice will probably be in and out, as you can tell. I might be a little raspy. I like it. Some people like the raspiness, though, you know? We'll see. Like the deep voice. I hate hearing my voice in general, so this might make it a little bit more acceptable Interesting in my own ears. career choice, then, honestly, going into <laughs> a, <laughs> where you're exclusively heard, you know? It is. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I don't like to, to hear my own voice, but it's weird because then you, you want to get better. So you, you like watch video and listen to yourself and trying to hone your craft. But uh, after like the first initial listen, I'm always like, oh gosh, why am I even doing this? The first couple Shea stations I listened back, like the game tape kind of, but now it's like hard. Like when I'm editing a clip for us, it's rough listening to myself drone on for like 10 minutes on it. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah, if, we, if we're talking about droning on, that's definitely always one critique I have of myself is I tend to ramble, but we're here. Yeah, man. I'm feeling good. We, get some, we got uh, information to talk about. Uh, and I'm allowed to be a part of it since I'm, I'm not feeling as bad as I was. Yeah, we were talking before the show. The Mets are actually uh, one of the, the nicer teams to be covering uh, in a lockout. For those who don't know, MLB is officially locked out. We're not going to dive too much into the logistics of the whole thing, but the ownership uh, committee voted unanimous, unanimously to lock the players out. That includes our dearly beloved Steve Cohen. Uh, if you guys want a breakdown on why the lockout's happening or uh, where things stand in the first place, uh, I definitely recommend you go check out the most recent episode of Talking Baseball. They spend about half the episode uh, just explaining the entire thing, what the fight is for, where the sides are at, and if they'll come together to an agreement around February. So if you're interested in all that, I suggest you hop over and come back to us later because uh, we're not going to talk too much about that because there actually is a decent amount of news in Metzland. But before we get to any of that, uh, you missed our Max Scherzer episode, which is one of our biggest episodes to date, uh, listen-wise. So before we get into anything that's happened after that, I just want to get your thoughts on the new look Mets, on Max Scherzer joining the Mets. Anything you want to say on that? Because, you know, we missed you last time. I love it, man. It's kind of, it, it shows you a little bit, uh, a peek into what goes on behind the scenes. Because Scherzer, obviously we talked about it, beforehand wants to win and he wants to be convinced that this organization wants to win and for him to be convinced and sign up towards the twilight of his career probably is you know who knows but his last still in his prime capable of winning Cy Young years uh to Queens to the Mets is is a is a good sign that this is on its way towards uh, a significant win so it's a huge get for us um really exciting on so many different fronts. Uh, for some reason, it always, we were talking about managers. We can dive into it a little bit later, 
But if this would have shaken out before Melvin signed with the Padres, this would be a much prettier picture for him to come aboard. Yeah, I knew we can't do a manager episode without bringing up Bob Melvin at least once. I feel like we that every every time we talk about coaches in general, Melvin always seems to come up. A big decision for him going to San Diego was the stability, um, especially early with the lockout looming. He wanted to make sure that he was put in place, and that was a much more attractive landing place um, simply because of the stability. But now that the team has a direction, the, they have a GM, all that stuff, you know, it's exciting. But with Scherzer coming on board, I mean, what a beautiful signing. It's beautiful. It really is. It completely changes the whole concept of win now, whereas like we're building for the next couple of years. But when Scherzer comes on, pair him with DeGrom, it's like we're ready to win a world championship in 2022. Yeah, no, it catapults you into instant contention, instant World Series uh, speculation and stuff like that. I'm, I'm glad that you got to speak on it because, you know, it's a guy that you know in the game and have fa- you haven't faced off against him, but you've watched your teammates struggle against Max Scherzer because he's freaking Max Scherzer. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him. I've seen him firsthand in camp together when I was with the Nationals. Uh, he's a special, special being. He's one of those super competitive uber like he will elevate his teammates just by his presence because he will push you he will poke you he will prod you he will tell you how it is he will elevate everybody around him because he demands it he's like that Pete Manning you know guy that just pushes his teammates to become better so it's a huge signing that's great and and like I said it it overall changes the temperature of the organization from day one and that's that's awesome yeah You'll you'll get your comments about oh he's old or they shouldn't give him that much uh, on AAV. It doesn't matter. He, he's Max Scherzer, and you instantly uh, insert yourself into our in the argument for the best one-two punch in starting rotation history. I mean, there's a lot of combos that come to mind, um, but not many in my mind better than the perspective of Degrom and Scherzer. And it's it's also a huge bonus for Epler and Cohen. Epler, you know, kind of had a, a murky reputation coming in. Never had signed a pitcher to more than a one-year deal in all of his tenure with the Angels. And now he comes out and he gets Max Scherzer to New York. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, again, that shows that shows the direction and, and the where the organization is heading. To be able to get a free agent of his caliber, of Max Scherzer's caliber, at the time of his career where he's just looking to win. That's all he wants to do. It, it Obviously, the money was there but that was going to be there in a lot of different places he chose the Mets because he envisions a chance of the best chance to win a world series so exciting yeah so well we're talking about competitors and you know if you're interested in the whole idea of competition well I got a great thing for you guys listening tonight let's gonna to take a we're gonna take a little break to tell you about the John Boy Media Bino tournament that's happening tonight on John Boy and Jake TV the YouTube channel tonight at 7 p.m so if you got nothing going on tonight and you want to watch a couple guys play some flick soccer for some extreme bragging rights and prizes that includes me uh, uh, John Boy Jake BBD Joe's we're all gonna be there playing some flick soccer so if you got nothing going on tonight I highly uh, recommend that you tune in there's a big gold championship belt that's getting passed around uh, for the winner and uh, he'll hold on to it for two months uh, I know Jerry has already cleared his schedule to watch me compete tonight I'm very uh, <laughs> grateful that you know he canceled some very important dinner plans because he knew of the uh, the, the magnitude of this tournament 
the John Boy and Jake TV Bino. I had never heard of Bino until hopping aboard John Boy. Mm. Uh, and it's exciting. I, I hope uh, Joe's gets on the mic. Yeah, no, we need Joe's on the mic. I, we need a little bit of Joe's redemption, too, because I feel like every gaming tournament we've watched him in, who, he's like the head of JM Gaming, but he's been losing just straight up every single time. As long so. as he shows up looking fly with, a, you know, some type of faux fur, like, <laughs> I'll be all about it. The shades and the fur coat. Yeah, that was a look. So 7 p.m. tonight, uh, that's uh, that's our bit of John Boy Media news. But in terms of actual uh, Mets news, the signing of Max Scherzer signaled a lot of things for the team, one of which uh, is that they kind of used a lot of their funds for pitching on one guy, one guy who's very much well worth it. But this kind of signaled uh, a little bit of a changing of the rotation guard. And uh, that was a big thing for Marcus Stroman, who recent, uh, recently signed his deal going to the Chicago Cubs. Kind of a surprising landing spot for Stro, in, in my opinion. I know the Cubs have some exciting guys in that lineup and some some reliable pitchers. They picked up Wade Miley earlier in the offseason, but he signs for three years and $71 million going to Chicago. Do you think that uh, this was the what you expected out of Stro? I kind of expected a longer-term deal for him. I did. And not only is it it's less... It's it's less shocking that he went to the Cubs because the Cubs will make a move. Every team makes a move. I'm surprised at his deal. It's a three year deal with an opt out after two um, for 71. Like the 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 amount and the the length is a little short for me for a guy of his caliber. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, with the with the lockout looming, he probably just wanted to get something on the books. He's not going to be poor. He's going to be okay handling that much money. Um, but I feel like he is, he was deserving of more. I thought he had, he left some on the table there. Um, but I don't know anything, you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, what he was being offered. Um, I wish him the best of luck, man. He's, he's a hell of a pitcher, a solid human being, a very positive person to be around. And, uh, I wish him the best in on the North side there. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Uh, Stroh's contract is pretty interesting because it's kind of, uh, reliant, not reliant, but, uh, it rewards his productivity and his ability to stay on the field. So he has $2 million escalators for each year. Uh, if he gets to 160 innings pitched and Stroh was a guy that made every start last year after missing the entirety of 2020. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see him go to these 180, uh, 160 inning marks there. So he'll get a little bit of bonus there if he stays in the field. Um, the Mets, you know, for all things considered, they got Max Scherzer, but they are a weaker team, a weaker pitching staff without a guy like Marcus Stroman in there coming in every fifth day. So it, it is a loss. I think that the Mets maybe could have committed to a three-year deal. I don't think they were in competition there for a five to six-year deal that I thought Stroman was going to get. So it's a little bit of a bitter taste in the mouth there because uh, you feel like maybe Stroh could have been brought in and made this giant three-headed monster at the top of the rotation. He goes to Chicago, and it kind of leaves uh, the Mets rotation in an interesting spot, a very top-heavy rotation when you look at it on paper. I have it listed on our little note sheet here. I mean, anytime you have two perennial Cy Young contenders, it's going to be top-heavy with Scherzer and DeGrom. Uh, arguably the, the two greatest pitchers uh, available right now. You know, DeGrom, easy number one, still head and shoulders above everybody else. Hopefully he's healthy. Uh, and then you have your Scherzer. But behind him, you know, the health of Cookie. Cookie Carrasco is our big question mark here. Uh, Tywin Walker's bounce back. You're looking for him to be a little more consistent. Being that number three, number four guy from for Taiwan is probably going to I think solidify him as far as not being pressured to be 
a number one or number two, which he was having to do. Um, and that weighs heavy on you. That weighs heavy on your prep, your, your preparation, um, your in-game management. And so I think being for him to be able to take a step back and learn from two of the best in the game, um, he's already high quality all-star. Uh, it'll be exciting. And then for, for our fifth spot to be divided up between Tyler, Tyler McGill and David Peterson, that's a, that's a pretty solid rotation there. Um, still need some depth, but that's a good five. That's a good six names right there that could really fill out. Those guys would be, would be starters on any team in the big leagues. Um, they're quality big league starters. These aren't, you know, borderline um, roster guys. We're not filling anybody in with, with a, you know, a, a spring, spring invite from a non-roster. It's, 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 it's exciting, man. It, it shows depth. We still need some more, but it's quality. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I, I think that you can comfortably enter the season with this five, but you'd obviously love some guys behind them. And you mentioned learning from the top two. I think it, this Max Scherzer signing is massive for guys like Tyler McGill and David Peterson. Me and Jake talked about that a little bit on the last episode because these are guys that have had their ups and downs. They kind of, um, and especially in McGill's case, got to the big leagues probably sooner than they expected. Um, McGill can learn a ton from these two guys. I feel like McGill showed a lot of promise. We talk about McGill a lot. We sing his praises all the time. He's the one of the guys that excites me the most. I think he is the guy of these four that aren't DeGrom and Scherzer that is the most likely to take the next step and become that number three if he can stay healthy and if his arm can endure a full season. I, I really think that when Tyler McGill was right and had no arm fatigue hindering him that he was the most impressive of these options outside of DeGrom and Scherzer. He's also the youngest and I feel like his his pitches are the most exciting to me. And I don't want to put too much pressure on him because that's exactly what happened last year. You kind of threw him into the fire and just hoped for the best. And it did work out for the first 10 starts. Um, but Tyler McGill, he's really the one I have my eye on as taking the next step next year. I, I love that. I think that's exactly what I wanted to talk about with Tyler McGill because the way he attacks with his fastball uh, is a lot like Scherzer. He's not afraid to throw that fastball in any count. He's not afraid to throw it over the heart of the plate, which is, you know, hit or miss sometimes. But you want a guy like that to learn from the best at doing the his he's what he showed me mentally in his first season is what Max Scherzer. He could be in that, like, you know, all things being equal. If I max out my potential, I could be like Max Scherzer. It's a great guy to learn from with DeGrom there. DeGrom's more of a like just observe kind of guy. He's not going to he's not going to dive into the X's and O's of, of pitching as much as often as a guy like Scherzer, you can, you can go up and talk pitching to Scherzer on, on a different level. And so having two guys at the top of the game, two multi Cy Young winners that are two different types of, of teachers for young guys like that, I, you can't even, I can't even tell you how valuable that'll be to have the two different style personalities there because you won't, you, you won't be able to go anywhere without actually learning. You would have to hide under a rock to not get better at your, at your craft with those two in front of you. It's super exciting. And I think Tyler McGill again, healthy is super exciting. And all that pressure that you, we talked about gets taken off Taiwan Walker also gets taken off of those, those young guys going into their second year. Yeah. So we're, we're like Tyler McGill, I think is, is the most, the person who most benefits from, singly from signing Max Scherzer because style stylistically like that is who he could be that is who he models his game after I imagine there's some 
some film watching that that happened for him because the way he attacks his uh, composure and demeanor on the mound is very Max Scherzer like because of he attacks he's not afraid even when he gets kind of roughed up a little bit you don't see it shake him and Scherzer gives up tons of solo home runs but guess what he will attack you the next time he has that that bulldog mentality and I'm glad that you mentioned Tyler McGill because I think it's I think it's so beneficial for him to be able to watch a guy who is as good as it can be in the same kind of mental approach uh, in Max Scherzer. So, uh, you know, there's a million reasons why the the Scherzer signing is a, is great for the Mets. And Tyler, Tyler McGill has to be feeling like this was uh, almost a godsend for him. You know, Merry Christmas for that scene, for that single person. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you brought up the aggressive approach of Miguel because it's I feel like it's something I kind of forgot about. But when you look back at uh, the teams he had to face in August when that arm fatigue was like starting to set in, you know, it's the San Francisco Giants, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees all in like a one month span. But you never saw him kind of cower down or try to paint corners or anything like that. He attacks with his fastball. It, It burned him sometimes. I remember that Joey Gallo moonshot that got hit in the Subway Series. But in terms of a guy that never made a start at AAA, came straight up from AA and was kind of thrust into like the number three role in the team, that's a lot of confidence to show at a really young kid. So I think if you if you pair him with those two veterans that have basically the two most electric fastballs in the game, there's a lot to be learned there. But we also mentioned depth before and depth kind of get uh, got lost in translation during the pursuit of Max Scherzer. One of the guys that got lost that I really thought the Mets would benefit from bringing back was Rich Hill, who's about to start his third or like fourth or 70th tenure in Boston. Uh, but he gets another deal. I think he's like 41. And, uh, you know, he continues to make bankroll after making that comeback at age 35. So I'm happy for Rich Hill. He signs for one year, $5 million with Boston. But it kind of stinks because I think that would have been a fantastic death piece to just have for the Mets because, you know, he can go to the bullpen. He's going to give you innings every year. I'm sure the Mets made an offer to him, but he's a Boston guy. Like that's, you know, he's from there. He's, you know, through and through. They also gave him the biggest opportunity when he came back. That's where he resurrected his career was in that, that amazing run in September of like five starts where he just dominated. Uh, And like I said, he's a Boston guy. He wanted to go home. He probably said, this is what I need. Uh, Can you give it to me? And they said we would love to have him. That was probably the extent of it. Uh, he, from what I, from what I've chatted with him a little bit about, he liked his his time here. But now it's about being close to home, being in his family. And look, the Red Sox are a good team, so it's definitely a piece that will be missing uh, a depth piece. Um, we definitely have some some roster need there. Uh, but I wish him nothing but the best. It was a situation that worked out. At the most in his favor, and so he deserves it. He's, you know, he's 105 years old, uh, <laughs> still doing his thing. So good for him. Yeah, you mentioned that that month that resurrected his career. It was 2015, 29 innings, uh, 1.55 ERA. He parlayed that into a deal with the A's, then traded to the Dodgers, went on all those postseason runs, and he's just been kind of hanging around ever since. He's going to be 42 this season, if you can believe that. Um, so he signs for one year, five million. He's got incentives in that contract as well. Boston knows what they're doing. They kind of have a formidable one through four right now. They took flyers on Michael Walker, Rich Hill, and 
James Paxton sort of to just compete for that five spot. I kind of feel like that's what the thing that I wanted the Mets to do, kind of just take some flyers on some vets, some one-year guys, see what sticks, see what doesn't. You have money to kind of throw out the wall if you're not going to give Stroh that $75 million that he got from the Cubs. Uh, hopefully the Mets rebound come out of uh, the lockout when, whenever it ends uh, with that in mind. That's going to be a tough – I think that's going to be a tough market to get – because the you see the top end of that because we already have guys that are solid in there. Those guys looking to resurrect their career. There's no more guaranteed innings there. There's no more guaranteed spot um, for, you know, a guy looking like a James Paxton who, you know, I mean, that guy got what, $10 million. He hasn't, he's pitched less than, than Noah. He's not going to come back till June either. Yeah. It's crazy to me. Uh, so I don't know, but you're, you're going to have a hard time finding guys that, need innings to show what they can do um, because we have so few left, but we're definitely going to have, we'll have takers because we need depth and you're always going to need starting pitching. They always have a chance to come up, but uh, I think the cream of the crop is going to go look for a, for a better opportunity um, to just have solid innings. Yeah. So, I mean, the Mets technically they don't need to sign a starter, but obviously I don't think you want to roll in with six and just bank on nobody getting injured. So, there's a couple things to look at here. Uh, the free agent market for starters after Stroh went is uh, pretty much the middle tier guys and Clayton Kershaw. Now, I don't know if the Mets want to invest because Kershaw will likely get a high AAV short-term deal. The Mets just did one of those with Scherzer. I don't think Kershaw is going to get like four to five years or whatever it is. I think it's a team that uh, wants to compete now and needs one more piece. That'll probably be the landing spot for Scherzer, uh, for Kershaw. I'm thinking like maybe the Texas Rangers or something. So after that, it kind of falls to a bunch of left-handed veterans. I mean, all of these guys. You say a Kikuchi, who uh, opted out of his deal with the Mariners. You have Danny Duffy, who was really good last year. Then he got injured and traded. Uh, Drew Smiley was just with the World Series Braves. Matt Boyd got not intended by the Tigers. You have options here, and you kind of need a lefty because the only one you have right now uh, is, Dave, is David Peterson, if you want to add that element to your rotation. So I feel like any of these guys would be a fit. I don't think any of them would be guaranteed a spot, though is the thing. And I think that's what you were talking about a little bit before. Uh, and it also applies to guys like uh, Jonathan VR, who the Mets might bring back. You know, these guys might, might want to take a little bit less money or a little bit more money to just go play where they're guaranteed a spot and guaranteed, you know, 500 plate appearances or 25 stars or anything like that. So it might be tough for the Mets. The men have to pay more than they probably should to get a guy like this. Yeah. If you see what VR did with his opportunity, he got with us, he upped his value. Uh, so he's going to want to play and he's going to deserve a spot. I think a team's going to find a, a place for him to play regularly. You know, whether that's the Mets, there's still openings that, that could be had if you can guarantee some ABs for him. Uh, from the rotation, I the name of the names you mentioned, Matt Boyd seems like a project a little bit because of his up and down season. He was a big name going into last year um, and then, then dealt with some injuries. So that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting. I, of course, the Tigers DFA'd him. That's crazy to me. Um, but I like Drew Smiley. You know, he was with the Giants two years ago, had a really good spot, did really well for the the Braves, and even threw some some big innings for them in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Um, I think he fits the mold for for a guy that we need, just a guy that can eat up innings out of the rotation for you. If you need him, you can push him to the bullpen um, and let him come out that way. Um, he's quality. He knows what he's doing. He's a pro Um I think he fits the mold there the the best, um, but I think he's got so he's going to have some suitors because he's so versatile. So it'll be interesting. Um, 
I think uh, you're you're talking about our our next possibilities, and I think that fits what we can do in the trade market. I think that fits more the style of what the Mets need to do because of their forty man, because of their roster, especially from a position player standpoint, things that they could move around. I think that's that's the way to go, and I think that's what they're going to be looking to do the most. Yeah, we've brought up trades uh, a couple times on recent episodes, and you know everything's hypothetical right now, and nothing can happen in the lockout, obviously. But teams can blueprint trades to be activated pretty much as soon as the lockout ends. Uh, the Mets did a really good job uh, of signing players, obviously, this winter, but also of just protecting uh, their farm guys and their draft picks. They're going to get, they have four picks in the top 60 right now. They're going to get another one because Michael Conforto is likely leaving the team. He has the QO uh, on him, so they'll get a pick for that. And they didn't, they haven't harmed any of their uh, their farm hands right now. They have six guys in their top six right now that are uh, considered the, the uh, crop of their top heavy farm system. But I think they can part ways with one or two of them and not be uh, too burned by that. And that kind of opens the door to trade possibilities. Um, the Rays have opened their doors recently on uh, Ryan Yarbrough, who's probably the most cheap of the options that we've seen so far. The more expensive guys are your Luis Castillo on the Reds, who are entering another rebuild and trying to shed payroll. And then obviously the uh, the trio over in Oakland of Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, and Frankie Montes. Those guys will likely require you to extend one of these prospects um, so it, it just depends on what the Mets want to do. They obviously have money left to spend, but you know, there are going to be other free agent classes past this one uh, that you can invest money into. It doesn't need to be all in this year for just this year. So maybe a trade with uh, some of these guys that have team control have years after this one would be more ideal for the Mets. But in that case, you have to start wondering, you know, who's going to go and who are the Mets willing to part with? That'll be it. That'll be the key is to figure out who they like. And then that comes with the front office. Epler's been there a while. He's going to talk to his scouting directors. He's going to talk to his coaching staff and really start to evaluate the farm system. And he'll be watching film as much on the free agent market and trade market as he'll be watching his own players um, and really starting to evaluate who they like, who they can move on from. And I think you'll start to see him ship some guys off that maybe don't catch his eye the same way they did the last regime or the, the people previous. Um, but there's definitely possibilities. There's a name on here that is missing, and that's Sonny Gray of the Reds, who's drawn tremendous, uh, who's drawn tremendous, um, at least on Twitter, uh, trade prospects and and so many different ideas. I think he's he's up there too. I love, you know, I, I was with him when he became, he was a rookie in Oakland. He had that like Tyler McGill attack poise that that you you love to see and uh, I think he's learned his craft over the last three four years that have really been he's benefited from just experience and so I think he's got another you know couple of years of high productivity um, because he's just starting to to master what he's doing um, but I like all those trades I'm not a huge Ryan Yarbrough fan just simply because I don't know enough about him so that that makes me nervous. And anytime you're trading with a raise, I always feel like, what do they know that we don't just because of how smart they are? Uh, so that always makes me nervous. Um, but I love Louis Castillo. I think, you know, a big change up guy always works in the NL East. You can you've seen it for years, a guy that that has that lights out fastball, but can 
that just his out pitch is a changeup is just fun for me to watch too. And the thing about Castillo and Gray is that they also pitch in Great American Ballpark, which is like notorious for being a hitter's bandbox. So I mean, Great stepping American into small park, man. That's what I'm saying. So stepping into City Field would be very beneficial for them. You could see some turnover there as well. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, they want to come over here. They want to. They want to pitch in a bigger ballpark. The the, the NL Central is not the most conducive to your ERA and your your high stats because you know you play in Wrigley Field and and Pittsburgh, all these small ballparks, man. And so coming to the NL East would be, you know, uh, I think a step up personally in in ability because of the teams and the the rosters that the NL East has but as far as ballparks go and if you trust yourself you just want a fair shake at things I think the ballparks are are much better over here yeah so it's just going to come down to do the Mets want to part with their young guys and do they want to just allow the young pitchers in the rotation to duke it out and are they comfortable with their depth Uh, they have a lot of time to think about that uh, what has come to the forefront of their decision-making now is the pr- practically the only thing they can act on, which is hiring a new manager. Uh, so if you are on Mets Twitter, you know that things have heated up tremendously uh, over this past week, and there are tons of rumored candidates, as there always is with the Mets uh, manager search. That pretty much has happened every two years at this point. Um, and there are the guys that are the recurring names in pretty much every search and some interesting new names that uh, have come to light. The Mets have basically outlined a top five for their manager hunt right now. It's uh, Buck Showalter, who many people are familiar with of all ages. Uh, Brad Ausmus, who managed recently with the Angels and Tigers. And then three guys that have never managed at the major league level, who are Joe Espada, bench coach for the Houston Astros, Don Kelly, bench coach for the Pirates, and Matt Quattraro, bench coach for the Rays. And if you guys have listened to the pod before and uh, listened to our coaching episodes, you know that I'm a huge advocate for guys that have bench coach experience, preferably at the major league level. This is why I like the Louis Rojas signing so much. He was an in-house guy and he was a bench coach guy. I really thought Rojas was going to work out, kind of got dealt a rough hand at the end of 2021 and had to sort of be the scapegoat for the Mets struggles. He went over to the Bronx. I think that was a great hire by them. But uh, do these names do anything for you? Do you get any uh, inspiration, any uh, tingly feelings from any of these names? I do. It's really interesting. And again, uh, we'll see what kind of thought process goes into the direction because I like the, I, I'm more of a established name kind of guy and in the full scheme of things, but I really like Don Kelly. Mm. I don't know. I I played against him. He's an awesome, smart player. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is married to Neil Walker's sister. I think that's Neil Walker's. No way. I, I want to say that's random. It has nothing to do with his, his abilities. I got to find out I want to say though. he's married to out. Neil's sister. Um, I've heard nothing but great things from other teammates that have played with him, that have been around him. I feel like that is an well exciting Well done, Jerry. You were right. Yeah, Gary nice, Walker. Yeah, you nice. were right. Good stuff. Well, yeah. I, I don't know why I remember that. That's my that's my deep-seated friendship with Neil Walker. Um, I do love that human. Uh, but he... I really like it. I think he's that that perfect fit of a journeyman quality big leaguer that, you know, what you like about them being a bench coach or having bench coach experience is smart because it's it's the it's the right hand man of your manager. They do all the grunt work that it takes from helping to drawing up the lineup to being the go-between these, this is your, your, your right-hand man, your, your, the hand of the King, whatever you may think of it. 
uh, assistant GM, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's how you learn. You're in the trenches. You're doing the, the, the real hard work of being a manager. Um, the only difference is you're not sitting in front of the media at the end of the day, but I think it's really smart. Um, but I like, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about Brad Osmus. I don't know him personally. Um, him getting fired after one year at that might be an Artie, uh, Artie Moreno, Billy Epler kind of argument going on behind the scenes kind of thing. Um, I really like Buck Showalter um, from my personal interactions with him. I, I like a baseball mind like that. And then Adam Jones, you, you mentioned it on our notes, but his ringing endorsement from a guy of, of Adam Jones's caliber to, to say he makes them better. I think that's, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for guys to, to be challenged, to, to be held accountable and to make you better every day. And if Buck Showalter is that guy, I'm all for it, man, because this is the, this is the team moving forward that, that needs to win a world series. Um, I think our five-year plan has been accelerated and we're looking for win now and to get the best out of your players, you're going to need a really good manager. And so the, the new guys are exciting. Like I said, I really like the name Don Kelly, um, but not having managed before and to do it for the first time in New York uh, on Queens, we haven't had good success <laughs> from first time managers. Uh, and so it's a little bit scary. And so I could see us going the, the tried and true method of, of a guy that's been there. Yeah, I, I definitely get that there are definitely reasons to endorse the buck hire. One being uh, the endorsements from Adam Jones and last night Terry Collins just rang his endorsement on SNY. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, in a very, you know, like assured way. Uh, two, Buck has managed in New York before. He was the Yankees manager in the early 90s. Not a ton of success there. Obviously, that came with Joe Torre uh, inheriting the reins there. Uh, but Buck, you know, he's been around the block. 20 seasons as a manager of four different teams. Um he has a winning percentage of about 506. It got tanked in his last year in Baltimore where they lost 115 games. So it should be a little bit better than that. But we've mentioned before that like managerial record, it's not really, you know, reflective of the quality of a manager. You kind of have to go a little bit deeper than that. But if you want to go on accolades, I mean, he's a three-time manager of the year winner, uh, two first place finishes, one in 99 with the D-backs when the Mets beat them from in the playoffs, just saying. Uh, and then one in 2014 with the Orioles. Uh, in terms of his playoff record, he's one in five in playoff series. He's only won one time. That was with the Orioles uh, in 14. But he's got a lot of endorsements, a lot of the uh, older generation and uh, the guys that are a little bit more, like, uh, formed and, like, you know, they have credit in baseball. They've endorsed Buck Walter because he's been around the game forever. And, you know, maybe this is just what the Mets need because the Mets have hired back-to-back first-time managers, uh, both of which ended unsuccessfully and ended in, and ended, uh, in termination. So if you want to go that route that you went with Terry Collins, one of the proven older guys, you know, there is an argument to be made there. But uh, the thing with me is that I think that the Mets uh, are trending towards an analytically driven style of managing. Um, now, that is a kind of a blanket phrase that you kind of can throw over anything. Um, but the Mets have one of the largest analytical departments in baseball right now. We have a confirmed number of over 30. Um, so it, they likely want to see a guy that is willing to embrace that. And that's the reason why the Astros bench coach, Joe Espada, and the Rays bench coach, uh, Matt Quartraro, both appeal to me uh, in that way. Just because they are around one, two of the most advanced teams in terms of analytics. They've been around the, uh, that team for, you know, at least three years each. So you're poaching a guy 
uh, from a very successful team, a perennial contender team, you know, in uh, Espada's case, a team that's won a World Series, or at least has been to a World Series in 19. So there are prospects there, but at the same time, there is a part of me that's like, I want a guy that's done it for a long time and, like, can be stern and hold guys accountable and has, like, grit to him. So it's tough. You know, I really like this list of five candidates. Osmus is probably the one that, you know, appeals to me the least uh, of the bunch just because he's kind of been unsuccessful in pretty much every year he's managed except for his first year with the Tigers where uh, your A's bounced him. Oh, no, the Orioles bounced him in the playoffs, not your A's. Sorry, that was 2012. That was a little bit further. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a clear-cut answer. There's a lot to like for each of them, really. But Don Kelly is the one that I, don't, I know the least about, I'd say. Yeah, I know he's just a he's just a baseball lifer, um, a guy that's kind of known that he wants to be a manager from the time he started playing Little League, that kind of guy, you know, the the guy that's just soaking up the game because he's going to be in it forever. Enjoyed playing. He was a solid, solid player. But the whole time he's thinking and, and asking questions and talking to the manager and listening to the hitting coach, just a lifer, man, one of those style. I know that for a fact. Um, you know, I worry about bringing in a new a new young non-player type coach that's analytically driven because you have to be able to have the ability to hold your big superstars accountable to challenge guys to say you know to to not have ever been a true player like that is is it's not insurmountable to overcome but it definitely being a former player you already have a leg up on this. These guys know that you've been through the grind that they're going through. You're not coming from a place of, of, you know, malintent because you know what it's like to be a ball player. And that, that gives you a leg up when you're discussing accountability. Um, I also wanted to just uh, let you know that Ke- Kelly got the bulk of his at bats uh, with the Tigers. Most people know uh, 2010 to 2014. That means the manager he was playing under predominantly was Jim Leland, who is a legend in terms of baseball managers, you know, lot of success with the Detroit Tigers and other teams, obviously. That's a great guy to just inherit wisdom from. We've talked a lot about inheriting knowledge with, you know, McGill and uh, those guys. That it works from player to coach as well, I have to figure. So, I mean, you know, if Kelly has had this in mind for as long as he has, you know, being a bench coach with the Pirates now, you know, that's a great guy to get some knowledge from. I agree. So Jim Leland is from where I'm at in Ohio. Jim Leland is from like 20 minutes north of where I'm at, and he's in from Perrysburg. And so anytime I came to Detroit and when he was managing, I'd go and I'd start talking to him behind the cage because the visiting team would be stretching on the field while the home team's hitting and he's back there, you know, and so I'd go up and say hello and I would soak up knowledge every single day from him for the 10 minutes that I would just listen to him and talk to him about bullshit. He is a baseball mind like brilliant and he's got so much knowledge that just kind of sheds off of him at all times. I'm sure Don Kelly soaked up a ton of that and and Leland is a character of this game. Uh, so I forgot about that connection. So that's pretty cool, man. Cause Leland is the style of manager. You know, there's a name on here the, that made me think that's missing uh, as a Bruce, Bo- uh, Bruce Bochy, a guy yeah. that's won multiple world series. He was in the, 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 the Padres names. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to come to the East coast. That's interesting to me because if you want, you know, for, for all the, Buck Showalter has the one arguments. There's Bruce Bochy, who's definitely one. So that's a name that that's interesting to me that he's he's not on that list. So uh, it's curious. The only reason I didn't put him here, he's definitely been linked on, on like Twitter and like you know 
put as much investment into Twitter rumors as you want. The interesting thing about Bochi, and you brought up the the not winning thing, is that Bochi uh, was a perennial loser when he was managing the San Diego Padres way back in the 1990s. He made it to the World Series once, but they got swept out by the Yankees. He got his second chance with the Giants and ended up winning three rings. I mean, you can make that same argument for Buck. Buck never got you know, that extra chance to try and make a run at a World Series or anything like that. So maybe, you know, with one more chance, Buck might be better. I don't think Bruce Bochy wants to come out of retirement. That's the only reason I didn't put him here. We've seen him linked to rumors, but, you know, he hasn't taken an interview. And I think, you know, if you win three rings and you get into a comfy retirement and you get your number retired by the Giants, there's no real reason to come back. If he wants to, you know, hell yeah, I would absolutely love Bruce Bochy here. Pure, pure, pure speculation, but I don't, I felt like he was kind of, the rumor was that he was forced into retirement from the Giants. Mm, they, uh, they he, you know, they were looking to go analytical and he was like, look, that's fine. My time here is done. And so it wasn't like forced, you know, forced retirement in that sense. But then he started to get that, um, that farewell tour treatment. The, the, you know what I mean? The, the Mariano Jeter, Jeter yep. big poppy. They started to give him gifts, you know, and he's like, I don't know what's going on. And so he was kind of forced into being like, all right, I guess I'll give it a couple of years, but I really think he still wants to manage. Maybe he's enjoyed retirement quite a bit more than he anticipated, but I, I still think at least initially he really wanted to be back on the field and, and, you know, in uniform, as weird as it is for baseball managers to have to wear the uniform, which I is I kind of love it, honestly. Crazy. It's, it's <laughs> I the do only too. sport I love it so much. Like basketball, they wear suits. <laughs> At football, I watched Bill Belichick in like pajamas last night. So, you know, I like him. I, it's crazy. Uh, you think about, you know, watching Moneyball and you, you see um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and his, his, his <laughs> particular shape uh, having to wear a baseball uniform. It just cracks me up. Can you imagine seeing like, you know, Pat Riley wearing wearing basketball shorts. Would they wear the tearaways? I don't know, actually. That's a good question because, like, they wouldn't – I would they wear, like, a sleeveless jersey? They'd probably get, like, them some special coach jersey or something like that. Well, I know they don't wear – well, even even managers, like, you know, I, I know Louis Rojas rocked it because he's got the biceps, but most managers, pitching coaches, don't actually wear their jersey. They just stay in their locker room, and then they throw the hoodie on or the jacket. But uh, that's what I was wondering. NBA coaches, would they throw on the warm-up jackets? I think so. I think that would be an okay look. You know, I don't think it would be a bad look. You see Greg Popovich at a timeout with with his, you know, sleeveless jersey? He just wouldn't. There's no (laughs) way. He would refuse. (laughs) I I want to see it, though. Uh, What were we talking about? I don't remember. (laughs) I don't know. I apologize. That's my that's my my brain sidetracking. But yeah, if if we're talking about Bochi, Bochi, right? If Bochi was available, I think he would instantly shoot up to the top of my list of the guys I would want. If we're going on proven record, I think we're. I think I think the names that we've mentioned all are positive. Uh, Mike Schilt's interesting to me in the sense that I don't I don't know I don't know what he's gonna do. Um, the reportedly him being anti, you know, analytics, it seems strange to me because it's not, I didn't totally understand it. Yeah. I don't think so either for a guy to come up through the Cardinals, the way that he did, uh, he's a, he's a snicker type, you know, like a good soldier, you know, do what the organization needs. And so I think, I don't know if those rumors are true. And I like a guy that's loyal like that, especially to his players, um, he, they, he probably, they wanted him to sit somebody and he wouldn't do it because of so-and-so or whatever the case may be. I don't know what the story is, but I still like him. I really like the way he, um, he captivated me in his, his 
post-game um, interviews, the way he stood his ground, the way he, you know, stuck up for some of the glove stuff. I remember yep. that. I remember that. The way he had his, yeah, there were some things. And I was, I was like, man, that's a guy that I could, you know, that I could go to battle with. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget he just won manager of the year after getting fired. That's the second year in a row that that's happened. <laughs> Rick Renteria with the White Sox I, was either a finalist or he won, and then he got canned for Tony La Russa. So, I mean, there are guys out there that have recently won accolades for being a good manager and have gotten canned for it. It's very peculiar. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time for the Mets to be looking for a manager because there's nothing else going on. There's nothing else that you can – you literally can't do anything about – personnel uh from a player's perspective because there's a lockout players aren't really they don't exist in in the eyes of owners anymore they're not real people have you been on mlb.com at all yes i have that's how they that's how they treat you know i I could get i could dive deep um i've missed a lot of opportunity being sick uh to talk about you know how i feel about the union and the stances from there from you know being in it for a long time uh but it's sad to me the way they completely, you know, erase. That kind of shows you. It's very symbolic. If you it's will. very symbolic. And it's also true to their DNA and how they view things. Yeah. Uh, because that's what they are. They're just players are just, you know, vessels holding up a Jersey. Um, but <laughs> again, sidetrack, <laughs> but I think it's a really good time for the Mets to be where they are. Like from, if we could talk about the beginning of the off season, when we, we don't have a manager, we don't have a GM, we don't have any of these pieces to be, have a GM, have some, basically the majority of our roster set. Um, and then to be in a search for a manager and coaching staff right now is a great time because there's nothing else going on. All these coaches, coaches are also going to be looking for jobs. All these managers, uh, it's super exciting and they're in a very advantageous position um, which is new for the Mets. So uh, it's it's really good timing. It's it's a complete flip on the Mets GM search that was paraded around as a circus, and uh, it was at the forefront of things even when there was no lockout and there were players signing and the Braves had just won a World Series. Now the, the center of the baseball media world was the Mets GM hunt. Uh, but this time around, it's a lot different. There's a different vibe to it. There's a GM here now who has made four great signings. There's a great core to build around. There's a loaded farm system with draft picks. This is an alluring job for for a lot of prospective coaches. Um, and there's nothing else going on. So the Mets will once again probably take center in the baseball media world, but it's a completely different take on it now. The Mets are a much more uh, favorable franchise to come be a part of. And I feel like this is worth mentioning. The only other team that is, you know, in their manager hunt right now is your Oakland A's. And the Oakland A's are, you know, hi- uh, not hiring, interviewing guys like Joe Espada and Matt Quattraro. They're looking at the same guys right now. So the Mets, as always, have competition for the guys that they want. Um, so I don't know what what direction the A's are going in, but if I'm a, you know, a manager looking to get hired, I think I would much rather look at the New York job than the Oakland job right now because the Oakland job is going to be at least three seasons of losing, I would have to assume. Yeah, I feel like the, the A's are no doubt are going to go for an analytical approach, somebody that they can be in the ear of the manager because it's, you know, the string and, and master of puppets kind of thing over there. Uh, which is, I think, what 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 drove um, what drove Bob Melvin out, and at the end was, you know, they're making grand sweeping changes. Bob Melvin wants to win a World Series; would love to have done it there, and they're like, "Look, we're not we're not going to try. 
And that's a hard pill to swallow after years of putting in developmental work. Um, and so the A's are definitely going to go for that young guy, I imagine. I don't see Buck Showalter going over there and, and handling. I don't think he wants handling to that. You know, Bochy's not coming out of retirement for that kind of thing. You know, maybe a Brad Osmus would would, you know, as a last gasp, take that as a job to kind of resurrect his status as a future manager. Um, but for the most part, the A's are gonna the A's are gonna go young, uh, and the the Mets are gonna have the prime targets for this because everybody wants to come into a situation where they're going to win or they should win um expectations if you want to win this is definitely a roster uh an ownership group that is ready to do so so it's a very you know as as weird as it was for the gm search as you mentioned where you know we weren't sure is like what's wrong with the mats why does it why don't people want to take this job well the manager's job is definitely going to be wanted um, it's going to be a highly sought after. I definitely agree. The one candidate that we did not mention is probably the most interesting, but probably the most unlikely of the bunch. Uh, Curtis Granderson made his way onto the list. I personally would absolutely adore this, but you know, it, with the same reasons as before, you don't want to hire a first year manager. Granderson does not have a coaching experience at any level, but he's also Curtis Granderson, the most likable guy in baseball period. Uh, he has great relationships with the players. He's involved in the player association in a big way in a major role. Um, the Mets have kind of moved him down the list because of that lack of managerial experience. But like, what a story that would be! You know, Granderson was involved in the last Mets World I Series run. Don't, yeah. He'll politely say yeah, no, thank you. I know, I know. You know, he's yeah, he's he's not. I don't think he's ready to go back to the grind quite yet. The guy's got a lot on his plate. He's doing a bunch of media stuff. He's married, got a kid. You know, he's enjoying the position he's in. So to, to but he jump would make back a great into coach fire, one day, you know, like he one would day make in the a future. great whatever he would make a great whatever it is that he chooses to do. That is a guy that I promise you would be successful at literally anything he chooses to do. He goes on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, yeah, he would crush that. He would crush <laughs> that easily. You know, whatever. I mean, he starts a, you know, a, a, a tech startup. Um, that guy would kill it. He's just going to attract really smart people to be around him he's he's a fine fantastic human being and a hard worker but i don't think he's going to be the next mets manager one can dream but probably does re- i i appreciate the respect of his name being on it because that shows you the or again that's a a, a hat tip to stevie cohen and the organization and billy epler because he deserves to be on the list it's not just a it's a respect thing but that's an organizational thing because they see that this guy would be, if he wants to be a manager, you'd be great at it. That's also like Steve Cohen being a good, knowledgeable Mets fan. You know, like if you're looking to please your fans, Curtis Granderson is the higher. So I think even just rumoring him and throwing his name on that list out of respect is just a great PR move in general. Yep. And it's smart to keep his name involved and be attached to the Mets because as alumni goes, that is a guy that carries a lot of weight He's going to bring, if he shows up in, in spring training and throws on a Mets uniform and starts talking to hitters and outfielders and base runners, uh, this guy's going to make your team better. Uh, so it's smart to keep him attached to the Mets. And then outside of your your usual former Mets legends that make the manager run every single time that we have a rumor mill to talk about, your Joe McEwing, your Edgardo Alfonso, David Wright was a name that was dropped. The five guys that we mentioned at the head of this discussion are the guys that will likely be the only ones in contention for the job. 
Mike Schilt, I think, would be an okay hire, but the Mets aren't looking at him. So there's something on Mike Schilt that we don't know that everybody else seems to know. So if you're looking at him, I, I wouldn't put too much investment there. It's going to be one of these five guys. I would be shocked if somebody came out of the uh, the random other list and just, you know, sprang in for the job. But, you know, interviews are going to occur for a while now. We'll be covering this. This will likely be the uh, the main crux of future sh- station episodes in, like, the immediate future. But it's nice. You know, it's something to talk about, something to pay attention to in what is otherwise going to be a couple boring months in the baseball world. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's exciting for the Mets, and it will be uh, not boring. There'll be some some uh, CBA stuff. That's some fireworks. A little deeper dive. Yeah, so there's probably going to be some fireworks, hopefully soon, where they can get the ball rolling. But um, yeah, I find it interesting. What's your take on Carlos Beltran's name not even being mentioned? I think that I I found that omission to be interesting. Yeah, I thought that it was definitely going to be a name drop just because Alex Cora and AJ Hinch are back in the game. Um, so that, whatever the reasoning of the Houston Astros thing has kind of gone to the wayside. Um, again, it's another first-year manager. It's another former Mets player. And, you know, they, both of those categories were featured on this list. So I thought it was really interesting that Carlos Beltran wasn't even mentioned. He kind of fell to the back of the news cycle, really. He's kind of been off the grid generally, too. I don't know if you follow him on any socials or anything like that. He's been traveling a lot, kind of hasn't been involved in baseball that much ever since the whole fiasco that took place in 2020. So Beltran is not a candidate. I I kind of liked the Beltran hire when it first happened. I didn't hate it. I thought it was like a star stud hire, uh, one to grab some headlines. But that's not really what the Mets need to do right now. The Mets have the headlines. They have Max Scherzer on their team. They had a very successful offseason in that tight November window. So, I mean, they don't need to get the Hollywood name. And I think of the five, the Hollywood name would probably be Buck Showalter here. It's the, he's the one that's getting discussed the most. So that might, you know, incline the Mets to maybe go for one of these bench coaches, go for one of these unproven guys that has the analytical experience and that is on the younger side. So there's a lot of routes to be taken here. Yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, there's a lot out there. We're going to see the interviews start to come down. Um, they've already talked about interviewing today and tomorrow. Um, so it should shake out, you know, in the near future. I, I'm, I'm assuming for no particular reason that we'll hire a manager before Christmas. That's Ooh, my guess. I like the Jerry guess. I think it's going to happen because it's a very attractive position. And the sooner you have your coaching staff, especially your manager, you can start to fill out other positions and you can talk, you can shape the direction of you this season, as far as the organization goes. So I think, I think you'll start to see this come down pretty quickly. I, I hope so. So. Yeah, and we'll be right on the beat when it does. Uh, But to round out today's episode, uh, no more manager talk, I just wanted to extend, uh, he's not listening probably, I I don't think he would be, but I want to extend some uh, congratulatory remarks to Gil Hodges, who is officially a Hall of Famer, way, way overdue. But, you know, we're on the topic of Mets managers, so you got to mention Gil. Um, Gil finally gets in. I'm still waiting on Dick Allen to get the, uh, the recognition he deserves, but one cog down there, so congratulations to Gil Hodges. Yeah, great, great mention. I wanted to say, like, listening to the outpouring uh, of former players, people that played for him, former teammates, like Jay Horowitz, like, do you follow him on Twitter yeah, at all? Course, the, course. the the legendary PR, he talked about some of the things, uh, some of the, the reactions that people had about it. It just shows you the the quality of person that Gil Hodges was and what he meant to that that Miracle Mets team. Yep, uh, super cool. 
Very, very cool. We're uh, in agreement there. I agree. Oh, and, uh, you know, a little bit of remembrance for uh, Pearl Harbor today. I think it's the 80th anniversary. History pod. Of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Um, you know, so anybody that was affected by that, the whole world was affected by that. So, uh, you know, just a little, yeah, little remembrance. 7th. Good for you, Jim. Look at you. History buff. Thanks. Yeah, right? All right. I think that's all we got, guys. I think that'll do it. Got anything else, Jer? Thanks for having me back. Do you, are you going to start saying episode 23 for us, no. 22 for you? Kind yeah, that's of thing? the thing. I can't, are you I can't gonna do count that? you in now. Like, that's the thing. I might have to oh, address it that gosh. way. Because you were, you decided. Well, I can't help it. You, you decided you to take in a, a week reliever. off. I mean, you were the one who went on vacation. I mean, what am I supposed to do? All right. I had to I wish it were vacation. Yeah, I know. Shouldn't joke about it. Sorry. My bad. That's all right. All right. Cool. All right. All right, maybe I'll take off next episode and then I'll just throw in Jake. Don't, don't abandon me. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week, hopefully with some updates on the manager hunt and whatever else we're spitballing at that time. But thanks for tuning in to Shea Station. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets. Call strike three. A career high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom.